If we are more aware of what we put in our bodies than what we put on them, how can fashion learn from food? Season 10 aims to digest how we can apply the principles of farm to fork to fashion. And if we beckon chefs to serve a sense of self on our plates, how does fashion follow suit? This series will continue to share stories of creative people with a strong sense of style, but with the fashionable forces in food, who not only bring together beauty and purpose, but are able to cook up stories with heart, humour, and of course, great taste. What better way to kick off season 10 than with a live broadcast of the East Sydney Fashion Feast, an event I hosted and produced at King's Cross's Ezra Restaurant as part of the Eastside Unlocked Festival. With the help of our couture designer darling, Mariam Sadiq, and Sharon Saloom, the lady acclaimed for modernising Middle Eastern food in Australia, the lunch met its goal of being an elegant afternoon of food, fashion and fun. Together we explored the influence Sharon and Mariam's Middle Eastern and Middle Asian heritages had on their crafts, highlighting the similarities and differences between the food and fashion industries, with an accent on sustainable practices. The guests broke the bread, they shared the wine and they sat back, relaxed and got a taste of both Mariam and Sharon's stories. And I hope you can too. very intimate with Mariam here occasionally but um, I'm just going to lean in on my boots. It. So, <laughs> um, I'd like to begin today by acknowledging the Gadolkul people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of the land in which we meet today um, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people here today. Um, so obviously uh, Breaking the bread and uh, sharing grace for food is a, is a tradition that can transcend many, transcend many cultures. And whilst I'm not going to get into the politics of that actual act, I think that um, starting today's conversation with uh, an air of gratitude gives a nice taste to, to the conversation and to our day. So what I'll say is that I am so grateful that we all get to be here today breaking bread, sharing a banquet meal, sharing spoons and wearing a nice frock or outfit and putting some of the um, constraints and the kind of concerns of being in a big group together behind us, hopefully. I think for me, food and fashion come together so nicely, not only because I adore both of these things, but they are a way of sharing um, our, a sense of ourselves to other people and showing, showing off who we are. So I am grateful to be able to do that today with all of you. And what a fabulous bunch of people. I know most of you, and for those that I don't know personally, I know of you, and I can, um, can confidently say that everybody around this, these beautiful tables are creative, intelligent, and kind. And I will say that it's women, except for, for Giuseppe over there. <laughs> um, and, and just to be able to bring a community like this together feels really special for me. And I think that the platform of my podcast um, and what I get to do with events, uh, I am just really grateful that I get to belong to uh, such a great collective. Um, and having said that, I get to host this amazing day with uh, two people that absolutely represent that sense of good taste. 
uh, both industry leaders, uh, they share such a passion for what they do, um, but they're both incredible and then we'll find out why, but they have an inherent sense of community that they bring into their craft. So um, today is about sharing the, um, the similarities of their style, but also celebrating the differences in their stories. So without further ado, I introduce Mariam Sadiq and Sharon Saloom. Um, Sharon, <laughs> I'll start with you and I'll let you introduce yourself, but I will say that you are the woman that is heralded, heralded as the person uh, responsible for modernising Middle Eastern food in Sydney, if not Australia. And given that title, I'll let you now introduce yourself. Thank you. No pressure. pressure. Um, hi, everyone. Thank you for being here today. Um, my name is Sharon Saloom, and um, my sister and I had a cute little restaurant down the road for 14 years, up until July last year. Uh, basically, we decided to, to shut the restaurant down because we owned a cafe at the same time in Ashbury um, for three and a half years of those last 14 years. And we decided to, to have a life for the first time in a while um, and eat when people ate and, you know, slept when people sleep and, you know, just basically have a normal diet and stuff. So we kind of, you know, decided to close out. We thought 14 years was, was a good amount of time to do what we wanted to do. And we felt like we achieved what we wanted to achieve, which was to you know, kind of create a, a greater sense of respect for Middle Eastern food and culture. And um, as many people know, it's not necessarily, you know, always shed in the most positive limelight. Um, and so we, we really wanted to just kind of introduce people to a whole other world um, by having the restaurant there and, and hope that we've achieved that. And that's it. No problem. So Mariam is um, known in the fashion industry as the golden girl of couture. Um, <laughs> but you, you go ahead and introduce yourself. I think that, your own words, Mariam. I think that's more than enough. Yeah. I just, I, I make nice things, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> it's not pretty much it, but you have seen the beautiful gowns as you walk in, and my amazing jacket. Um, and I will employ you to go and have a look at uh, Mariam's like runway show from Fashion Week this year. It was, uh, and it's not just because we're mates, but it was my absolute <laughs> favourite show. Just beautiful, got bursts of colour. Um, and we'll get into like why I love her designs in a minute. Uh, but as you guys would know, I host a podcast called Style Stories, and in that podcast. I try to uh, use fashion and style generally as a lens for identity because that's what I love. I love getting to know people's stories. And throughout these conversations, um, people's sense of heritage and kind of cultural backgrounds will always uh, get referenced as strong influences in people's style and also the way that they pursue their creative work. And um, it's not no different for the two ladies here. So. Um, Starting with you, Sharon, like obviously you've got a Syrian background and that is uh, very present in your food, but do you want to give us a flavour of how your cultural heritage influences like who you are as an individual? Um, I think it's, I mean, for me it's a no-brainer, you know, like when, even when we opened the restaurant, I kind of, you know, tried to go with like what was happening, like seasonalities and, you know, what kind of what was hip and at the time, and I, you know, I stopped one day and I thought, what, why am I fooling myself? And, you know, I really need to be more true to myself and, and my culture and what I grew up with and what I know. 
Um, and it just made sense to really kind of incorporate the flavours that I loved into my food more than anything else, rather than trying to do what I thought people wanted um, <clears throat> a lot of the time. So once I did that, I found that it was so much easier to be creative um, with the food as well. And so um, I think, you know, incorporating this, this extensive amount of, you know, um, history that comes with Middle Eastern food and culture into the restaurant and even now at the cafe, um, it really opened a whole other, you know, door for me with, you know, discovering all these ingredients that, that were only ever used in a traditional way um, and that only, people only knew them as a, as a you know, traditional um, dish, uh, but then to kind of create a whole other modern um, twist on them and, and so that people could appreciate them in, in different lights and, and in different ways. So for me, it really was so important to have that and to keep that alive. I think when you grow up um, in, you know, somewhere like Australia and you have this background, this other cultural background, you almost as a child, you are quite embarrassed by it. You know, <laughs> you try and hide it and you don't want to be the one with, you know, some busek or gubbi for lunch and, you know, and your mum sends you to with Lubni rolls and, you know, whatever, like in preschool, I was having Lubni and olives in, in um, wraps. And so, you know, and it was so embarrassing doing all of that. But then as you get older, you really grow a sense of respect and love and adoration. And you almost feel lucky that you've got that <clears throat> behind you. And so I really, you know, that it really pushed me to, to you know, um, present that to other people and have a greater appreciation from them as well. And Sharon, when we've spoken before, we've talked about um, that sense of hospitality that kind of came through your household, which obviously comes through the restaurants. Do you want to talk a little bit about that kind of culture in your house of welcoming people? Yeah, and yeah. It was, it was forced on you. You had to, you know, like you had no choice. So we were like, is there, there's none of this, you know, people call ahead and I mean, and Mariam would know, like, you know, no one ever rang before they came over. They just showed up, you know, and that's just, and it still happens. Like now, you know, I'll be at mum and dad's house and, you know, people will show up and we're like, you, know, that, you just can't get that moment, those, those, that time with your parents on your own. A lot of the time, like it's not guaranteed. Like you're there to see them, but then like 20 people show up at the same time. It's just, and it's still like that. But I'm, I'm happy that it's like that for them, you know. And then you know that they've always got people around. And so you naturally have this innate sense of hospitality in you. Like you grow up with it, whether you like it or not, because it's a part of, becomes a part of who you are. You know, we were yeah. taught to serve. Like we were taught to serve people and we were taught that, you know, no matter what, you should always be generous um, when someone enters your home. And so we treated the restaurant, we treat the cafe the same way. You know, we are generous with people and um, often I get in trouble from my partner who's outside, but, she, you know, she's like, why do you do that? You know, why is there so much food? Yeah, why is there so much food? And I'm just like, I can't, you know, even when her parents come and stay, I'm like, you know, no, you can't order in. I have to cook for you, but you just can't, you know, and I would have just come home from work. But that's just, I'm like, my mum would die if she knew that you were here and you were ordering in and, you know, so it's just, yeah, it's, it's very much a part of, you know, who we are. And so you obviously saying that by revisiting some of those traditional ingredients, um, but you, you've, it's allowed you to kind of have more creativity. Given that, you know, as we've said before, like that you, you've been heralded as this lady that's modernised mid, Middle Eastern food, what, what are the bits that are you? Like what's this, where does that creativity that is indicative of you, Sharon, not you, Sharon, with a Syrian background, but you, Sharon, in your, in your work? That's a hard one. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mostly, I guess it's, um, it comes out more in, um, 
I don't know, someone called my food quite feminine. Oh. Um, once, yeah, and I was just like, I don't find anything about myself feminine. I mean, I mean, you know, like, and, um, you know, so that was kind of nice to, to hear that because yeah. I don't relate with that, like, much at all. Like, even as kids, we'd, I'd hated wearing dresses and, you know, I probably know why now. But, um, you know, it's, yeah, it's just, um, I, I guess with me it was, it's more, I think, what I put into it is the fact that I'm, I'm really heavy-handed with a lot of flavours, so I don't like subtlety. I'm really like someone who like, man, if you're gonna put, if that's meant to be chilli, it needs to have chilli in there, you know? Or, you know, I'm really big on seasoning and, you know, and it's funny because I've, I've worked with lots of chefs before and, and they're all very, you know, like with a lot of like chefing schools and, and courses and stuff, it's really light on the salt. And, you know, and, and Arab food is like bang, like you, you are salting stuff like really well. And so it's, you know, I'm just really big with like spices and using like really heavy. And if I try and do something light, someone's like, oh, that was really bland. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm sorry. And <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, be a bit different. But anyway. I, I just heard my sister as well laugh. And it just, it's funny because when she comes over, I know I have to ease it off on the garlic. <laughs> the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> it's, it's exactly. But is it, is it, um, I am guessing knowing you a little bit, Sharon, that that kind of volume of flavour is a bit of an indication of who you are. You're yeah. going to show us who you are up yeah. front. Yeah. There's no shyness about yeah. it and yeah. no apologies. No. And would you yeah. make that link Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I don't ever want anyone to come in and go, oh, this needs salt. You know, everyone hates going out somewhere and they eat, they're eating, you know, and they're like, I need salt. Yeah. You know, because it just, it really can elevate. I'm not saying you need to completely, like, cover the flavours of the dish <laughs> with salt, by the way. <laughs> but there's, you know, there's that fine line of, you know, doing that seasoning stuff and really using, I love the use of spices in food. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be hot spices. It's more just about utilising spices. There's so much food. And this is why I love, like, Indian food and, and, and South Asian foods and, um, you know, because they have that use of spices that people just often forget about, you know, and it's healthy. It's a healthy way to elevate food as well. Like yeah. you're not, you don't have to worry about it giving you cholesterol or blah, blah, blah. You know, like it's, it's just a really good way of kind of elevating the flavor of something yeah. as well. Yeah. And I guess it's that those, those cultures have such strong history yeah. in food yeah. as, as medicinal. And yes, exactly. For those same, you know, like the reasons yeah. that it, they've used them is because they're healing without damaging us. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. So moving to Mariam, Mariam, is any of uh, the cultural references that Sharon's uh, discussing, does any of that Oh, resonate? yeah, the, the, the go big or go home, obviously. It's like definitely <laughs> yeah, that, a thing. that subtle little red yeah. dress at the front. <laughs> it's like, yeah, do it or don't do it at all, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, that now, has to be. Um, in terms of your designs, you, you're known throughout the fashion industry for deploying um, traditional Afghan techniques into your work uh, and being inspired by your heritage. Yep. Do you want to kind of give the group a, mm -hmm. a, a well, on that? Yeah, like yours, you want to kind of modernise, you know, the traditions, you don't want to lose them. So we, we use the techniques, but we create modern, you know, a modern spin on it. So just to keep it flavoursome, but not uh, tribal, because that's what we can be, yeah. um, even though I love the tribal. Um, well, but, in what way tribal? What does that mean? Um, you know, just like? just the tribal look. No one wants to walk out looking like a tribal warrior. Like our, <laughs> our, our, you know, traditional clothing, they just, they put everything on it. There's like beadwork, there's metal, there's everything, you know. Mm. And it's it weighs like 20 kilos or more. 
So just to take like a little something from that yeah. and add it and, you know, just so the, the everyday person can wear it. So yeah, yeah, I would say that. And is there any other references to shapes or anything like in the way that you design your work? I think I, I took it upon myself when I first started because there was, uh, you know, it was before all this shit that's going on at the moment. Um, I took it upon myself to bring like a really good name to the Afghan people being born and raised here, being from that background. Um, I remember when I was 18, a lady dropped, because she was like, oh, you've got amazing eyes and eyebrows, like I do. Um, <laughs> she was like, what's, what's your background? And I said, um, you know, my parents are from Afghanistan. And she dropped her wallet and I was like, what? Why? Uh, but yeah, so just to bring that positive, you know, we, we're not all like crazy, yeah. you know, we're creative, we're, you know, we're good people. So I, I took it upon myself to make sure that I was a good representation, um, even though I'm not that norm of like doctor or engineer, it's more kind of fashion and art, which is not the norm that, you know, our people go towards. Yeah. So I felt that was it. And also I, I really create, you know, strong shoulders, as you can see, it's like a form of empowerment. I don't know, I just, a strong shoulder is necessary. Mm, okay. <laughs> so Mariam has been on my podcast already and, um, you know, I, we've talked about your naughty and nice kind of... Oh, yeah, my mum's here, so yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but where, where do we see yourself coming out in your clothes? Um, well, the naughty and nice, as cheeky as it is, it's more so, um, you know, being a lady, you know, wearing, you know, sexy clothing, but kind of keeping it classic and refined, you know, a little bit of mystery is good. Yeah. That's the naughty and nice. We'll talk about the other stuff yeah. after. <laughs> so despite, um, you know, you doing your part to celebrate your mm -hmm. culture in the fashion industry, and uh, you've said before it's about time Australia embraced its brown folk. Yeah. Do you think that Middle Asian and Middle Eastern cultures are underrepresented in the fashion industry? I, I think they are, but I think, um, you know, it's slowly, very slowly um, being recognised, like, people like yourself taking interest in it, putting in the forefront. Um, and then just over time, obviously, people recognise the work. Um, and, you know, yeah, I think it's taken a bit of time, but I think it'll get there. Yeah. As long as there's people like Sharon and myself yeah. <laughs> yelling. So, Sharon, what's your take on that? Because obviously people have embraced you from the beginning of what you've done. Yeah. But do you feel that there's an underrepresentation or a distortion of um, kind of cultural references in the food industry? Oh, 100%. Like, Middle Eastern food has always had a particular kind of view. Like, people have a particular view of Middle Eastern food. And I think a lot of it, and that whole region, you know, like even the Afghan food, and we were talking about that before as well um, outside. And I was saying to Mariam that often when my partner and I kind of eat from that region, it tends to be either Afghan or Persian. Um, and yeah, it's, it's which I think is 100% underrepresented, you know, in, in our industry, like Persian and Afghani food, yeah. which is like beautiful, beautiful food as well. And, um, but slowly I've noticed there's been more chefs now doing the Middle Eastern thing, um, you know, which has been nice. So when we first opened, there wasn't many. And the ones that were around that, they often were like that fast kind of, you know, like takeaway, 
that people were used to, and that's how they viewed Middle Eastern food. So we wanted to change kebabs. that. Yeah, kebabs, exactly. Or falafel, you know, like been sitting there all day in a bay marie. Um, you know, so that was that was what people were eating. I know, hummus out of a tub. And, you know, sometimes my, my mother-in-law will, will buy hummus. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> you, can't, you can't. But, yeah, it's it's just changing that. But it's it's definitely changed now, and um, which is really nice to see. And, you know, I think our, our industry already is underrepresented with females as it is. You know, um, but you know, for me, it's kind of like that's the that's the next fight. Like, let the Middle Eastern <laughs> yeah. stuff come up first, and then we'll you know slowly get to the other part. What do you think is a misperception about? I mean, obviously, there's that, that sense that it's very super casual or um, not can't mm. be refined. But is there if there was something that you would want people to know about Middle Eastern food that you don't think that they know, what would that be? It's really time consuming. Like <laughs> to to make proper Middle Eastern food is very time consuming. So often a lot of things need to be made at least a day ahead. It's not something that you can just whip up, you know, like my partner will say to me, why don't you ever cook Arab food at home? And I'm like, because it t- like it's not it's something I can do in half an hour or an hour, you know, like it's the day before I've got to soak this and do that. And, you know, there's so much involved. And, and so I think that's, you know, that a lot of people are probably unaware of, you know, if you're going to do it properly, it really does take time and, um, and, and quite a lot of effort and love, you know, because there's, there is, it's so laborious that you do need to love wanting to make it to to do it yeah and i'll pose a question to both of you um do you think that people as consumers are more ready to eat different foods than they are to try different kind of cultural references in their fashion like how is that your like what's your take on that sharon and then you marion but um yeah i think definitely like people are are Everyone wants to try the new thing, you know, like something that they haven't had before. And, and I think that's that's definitely, you know, like just something that, and, and Sydney in particular is very much like, you know, let's try this place. It's, you know, new and this is what they're doing and stuff like that. So there is definitely that that chase for trying something different as well, which is great yeah. too, you know, like I remember when we first opened the restaurant, I was throwing Lovney out because it would just go bad and people had no idea what it was. Oh. And we used to have like a reference of so like, I know, I know. And, and I was like, you know, and Zata, we'd actually have to have, we had like a glossary of terms of what things were at the beginning um, in 2007, you know, like it's so much has changed. And we'd explain to people, pomegranate molasses is this and blah, blah, blah. And we'd actually have to write it down because people had no idea what it was. And it's just changed, obviously. What do you think's driven that change, that awareness and a lot- that? A lot of TV shows, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. A lot that's of TV true. shows. Um, on, on cooking, MasterChef is a big one. Um, yeah, that's yeah. Lots of lots of TV shows that have come out. You know, like the increase in cooking shows. I remember when I was a kid, I was watching Young Can Cook. I don't know if anyone remembers Young Can Cook, the Asian guy with the cleaver. He was unbelievable, and that one grew my love for you know cooking. Actually, when I was younger, but you know, I think TV has definitely blasted like food into our homes like never before and people have just become a lot more aware and and you know the extreme increase of restaurants and cafes and you know that are around and the availability of ingredients as well yeah Yeah. and what about you mariam do you think that that's a a little slower for people to take on in a fashion sense yeah i think um i think with what sharon was saying the diversity a lot of people are mindful of it now across like everything uh, you know, and we've all kind of noticed that everyone's a bit more diverse now in like colour and size and all of it. Yeah. Um, and so that's, you know, obviously happening in fashion as well. You'll see on the runway, everyone's quite inclusive now. They weren't, you know, 
back in the heyday. I mean, obviously, we've been very diverse from the get-go. Um, but it just it takes time and it takes education. And, you know, if people all kind of go in that direction, everyone's going to follow. And if you educate, they'll understand why. I mean, and, and you don't want to see just, like, one kind of person on the runway. A lot of people like to, you know, see someone similar and familiar and, you know... I had a lot of the, the bigger girls on the runway this year um, and it gave confidence to the, the audience that was bigger. It was like, oh, I can wear that and oh, I can walk for you. And it's like, okay, don't get too excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, and this brings me to my kind of next topic area. Um, your, that sense of empowerment in women has been present in your collections from pretty much the get-go, like yep. from your early like White House school designs. Yeah. Um, so why is that being like a really important factor for you? It's been really, um, I haven't, it's not like I was like, okay, I'm going to empower and all that. I think it's just, just, I feel like this warrior that needs to defend yeah. and it's just happened organically. Yeah. Um, and now nothing looks um, complete if there's nothing, you know, interesting or, you know, strong about it, yeah. you so know. Give everyone just like, like, you know, we've talked about it before and mm -hmm. I know how that translates, but just give some of the details that you use to embody that strength in, in the women that you dress. As in the, the shapes that I yeah. use? Or, oh, okay. Obviously, you know, shoulders, you know, thicker fabric, you know, because a lot of people, you know, you'd be surprised, super duper thin and super duper big and in between, they all have the same issue. They want a small waist. Um, and that I'm the magician that provides that. <laughs> so, you know, corsetry, just, just, you know, making themselves feel better about themselves and hiding what they hate. That's my job. So I do that, you know, yeah. the bits and bobs. Yeah. And um, what do you think you're, like, you obviously have the specific customer, but do you think they come to you for that sense of strength? And I feel like knowing you, you don't just give it to them in their designs, but you give them to them. The customer in other ways. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if I don't feel like they are confident, um, I just, you know, create something else or, yeah, put that confidence in them. Yeah, so, I do that. Yeah, I, just by speaking to them. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know, it's just the surface, I guess. Yeah, so. Um, and it's more about talking to see what they love about themselves, enhancing that, and what, you know, they want to hide and. You know, usually it's nothing. Like, I'm just like, oh, I wish I had that body. But then everyone's got their own vices, so, yeah. And speaking of strong women, your, your mum's here tonight. Yeah, she's got the phone. <laughs> she probably watched that tonight. How, um, how, how has she raised you in that way that, uh, the, like, the strong female persona is important to you? I think just by watching her. She's just been very... She's worn the pants, obviously, and she's wearing the pants today. Yeah. She's and the Chanel. And the Chanel. And the Chanel. Um, yeah, she's just, she's just a boss bitch and she just takes things into, I don't know, she's just got order. She ran the households. <laughs> and I watched that, you know, just one look and we'd be like, shit, don't do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? That doesn't work anymore now. It still does. And that, it with still with, does, with yeah. our generation, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, Just that's for one, sure. Not so much. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, was this the same in your household? 100%. Yeah. My parents with the one look as well. Same <laughs> thing, same thing. But, um, yeah, look, it's, it's funny. And I think when we caught up last week, Madeline, I was telling you, you know, like our parents brought us up to be so independent um, you know, but then it was to their own demise where my, my sister, sister and I, you know, 
we started our own business, blah, 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 and then we don't need your help and we're okay and blah, blah, whatever. And, and so then, you know, like, and then my dad would get quite upset because we'd go and do stuff or fix things or whatever, you know, without him and that, like, really upset him. And they were like, you know, you taught us to be independent. <laughs> what do you want? So, you know, and, and um, you know, it was just really important for them to do that. And, yeah, but sometimes I think it's hard for them because they realise how independent we became so quickly, you know, over the years. And as Marion would know as well, you know, like when you have your own business, you really just, you've got to, it's it's you or nothing, you know, like you basically, you, you've you got to look after yourself and you've got to, yeah, be able to do a lot of things on your own. So we're, because you, you, not only have you, um, you know, like you, 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 you were saying to me last week that, you know, as a Syrian woman, like going and starting your own business was not necessarily like the thing that you saw or was yeah. what was expected of you. Yeah. Um, but you've gone and done it in a, in an area where you had no formal training yeah. and um, in an industry which is notoriously male dominated. So obviously you, you are a strong woman, but where do you draw that strength from? Like what, what are your tools for kind of overcoming <laughs> adversity or like if there is a barrier, where do you find the will to, to knock that over and just keep going? Um, I think, I don't know, it's, it's I think be, growing up in a very traditional Syrian household, you know, like it was always the, the girls did everything and the boys didn't have to because I've got two brothers and, and so you kind of become so used to almost being, you know, like pushed aside in a way and not that we had a bad upbringing, that's not the case at all. It's more just, you know, like girls weren't, it was just different. It was just different being a, growing up as a girl, and so you almost had to like forge your own path with a lot of things, and you beca that becomes the norm of your life from when you're quite young, and you need to show that you can keep up with the boys, you know. And so, um, yeah, and so my sister and I were both very much like that as well. And I think having a mum, our mum was taken out of school when she was about eight or nine years old, um, so she wasn't really educated, and she was the eldest of nine children. So um, she helped raise the siblings and. Um, you know, was working from a really young age and, you know, was sent to her grandparents' house to look after them and, you know, and she was only like, I think like 10 and 11 and my auntie who was a couple of years or a year or so younger than her and they both kind of left the house and went to look after their grandparents and stuff. And seeing my mum do that and then basically leave her family in Syria and come to Australia and then elope with my dad at age 23, you know, which is, you, you just didn't do that, you know, in her situation. Um, you know, that seeing how strong she was to do something like that, I think made us, you know, just naturally we grew up with this like force, you know, like this woman who didn't necessarily, was so timid, like you meet my mum, she's really like quiet and whatever, but clearly has a lot of strength behind her, you know, and that's what we grew up with. And, um, you know, and my dad's quite a strong, strong man as well, but my mum's definitely the boss in that situation. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So how do you now in your business um, empower the women that work for you? Um, we, we, I think the most important thing for us is that we, um, we show appreciation to all our staff, you know, whether they're male or female anyway. Um, but we, yeah, we, we just definitely show them that they are capable of, you know, cause it's funny, like when you're growing up and, and you, and you don't have your own business and you're working for other people and so you're like, and you're often the, like I often with a lot of my jobs was the youngest person wherever I worked and now suddenly I'm the oldest person there <laughs> and, and everyone's younger than you and they're in their 20s and stuff and you're like oh my god you're 15 years younger than me and you almost like die at the reality of it but you know you kind of go I have so much influence in your life and I don't even know that I do 
you know? And so you just, yeah, it's that whole thing of really just encouraging them to be confident, you know, with people and customer service is so hard, you know? And these are people coming for their coffees in the morning. <laughs> people are cranky, yeah. um, you know, a lot of the time. Until, uh, exactly, exactly, yeah. you know, and just being, you know, and these people that you see every single day. And so when you have a cafe, it's very different to a restaurant. You, you see these people every single day of their life almost, you know, like seven days a week. And so you often, you know everything about them, you know, their lives. Anyone that goes to a cafe probably feels the same way. You know, they know, I know when people are going away because they tell us so we don't get worried about them. <laughs> um, you know, especially if they're older customers too and they live on their own, they'll yeah. tell us. Um, yeah, so you, you really get to know people and, and it's really important for us to just encourage our staff to be confident in who they are as people and, and yeah, and I think that makes a difference as yeah. well. Yeah. So I think everyone can get a sense that these ladies are no nonsense and, uh, and you get the real deal as soon as you start talking to them. But what I find interesting about the way they both run their businesses is um, that they, they have just this ethic of sustainability without trying to be sustainable. It's become a bit of a buzzword, especially in the fashion industry, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a trend, but I think that you can see that these <laughs> ladies will clearly not just jump on a trend for the sake of it. Um, and without, I mean, I know we've just, I've discussed it with both of you, but like I inherently knew that this was something that you would both just do naturally. So Mariam, starting with you, like, do you want to just talk about, you know, that, 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 um, that ethic in your business and why it comes so naturally to you? I think, I'm just trying to think because obviously it's something I've done from the beginning. Like this, obviously this jacket, I mean, not obviously, this jacket um, is remnant um, fabric. Um, and so basically, you know, a lot of the pieces become special and one-off and um, because, you know, we do have a few remnant fabrics that, you know, we cut a piece, we do a sample and then we offer it to a client and then it's just, you know, one or two pieces and then that's it, there's no more. So then, you know, they won't go to a wedding or an event and, you know, have the same outfit being seen. But we don't kind of like scream any of this out. And when we do cut, um, you know, say this jacket, when we cut it, we bag up the, the offcuts and we create, you know, embellishment or we use it again for, you know, sleeves and yeah, nothing really goes into a bin unless it's like this skinny. So, um, yeah, these are the things that are, un, you know, that we don't speak about, but there's a lot of like sustainable practices that we do. But I hate when something becomes a trend. Um, it just grosses me out. Um, so, you know, if anyone asks, you know, sure, we, yeah. we share it. Otherwise, it's something we do for ourselves and yeah, it's, it's something and I think nice. That the people that um, are operating in the industry now are almost a bit too afraid to say yeah. that they're trying to be sustainable because they're um, afraid of greenwashing themselves. Yeah. But they're also like, oh, I, I'm not trying, I, I, I'm doing what I can and I'm learning yeah. and I'm trying to move it forward, but I don't want to be this poster yeah. child. Of, you see a lot of like, trickery with the eye where they say it's designed in Australia but it's like bitch where'd you make it <laughs> so we, obviously we make everything you know here in Sydney yeah um, and everything's like you know to, to cutting to sewing to even like the hand finishes you know my mum gets involved everything is like made with love and it's made here um, so yeah and you know these people have jobs here as well so you know we're keeping it all on ground yeah yeah. I get sad when I hear, you know, you know, a, a company or a business that was operating when I was a student is shut down because everything's, you know, offshore. Taken off so yeah. yeah, yeah. 
and so you know that obviously you're supporting community and you do that in different ways and I um, you know I think that's one of the important parts of sustainability we often talk about it in terms that are focused on overconsumption and overproduction but it's not just about that right it's about the people and who who is in the process from where the, the resources come from, whether it's the cotton or the food um, and the way it's farmed, to uh, the communities that are involved in bringing this beautiful jacket to me or bringing this beautiful food to our table. Yeah. And when we lose sight of those people or we don't uh, look after those people in the process, then that's the part of sustainability that I'm like... Yeah, it's a whole circle. In. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, obviously you've kind of so instrumental in this too, Sharon. So do you want to talk about that from your business perspective? Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm the same as Mariam. We're mates now. Not this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's like her materials that the, the pieces have to be that big. Yeah. It's, it's the same with food. We don't like. We, and I just told this story to Madeline last week, which was um, Ronnie Khan came to the restaurant many years ago before she, as she was starting Oz Harvest and asked me if I wanted to be involved. And, and I was like, look, I don't waste any food. I don't have any food to give you at the end of the day. Like, there's nothing I can get. I'm happy to help you in any way, but I can't actually give you anything that's left over. I said, there's nothing. You know, we don't we don't kind of operate that way. And and so to me, it just, yeah, there's, there's no, we're really zero waste. Um, and I think having small spaces when it comes to restaurants and cafes and stuff really kind of pushes you to be zero waste because you really don't have the space to store a lot. Um, so you get used to kind of really working with, with small spaces. Um, so if ever anyone needs me to unpack their house, I'm more than happy to do that. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah I'm, I'm really good with kind of um, preserving stuff in, in that sense that we um, really just don't, don't waste at all. Um, but the other way that we, find ourselves as being sustainable as well is that we try and make everything ourselves as much as possible as opposed to buying things in so often you know when I tell people that we make our own butter at the cafe you know like it's quite a shocking thing and I'm like yeah but I love butter and I want to be able to salt it again as much as I want you know um but yeah so it's it's just little things like that but you know where we can we I have customers that will give me um olives you know and then I'll use them at the restaurant uh, at the cafe sorry um and we preserve those we make our own pickles etc jams anything that we can possibly make we make um, you know we do try and support local businesses as well that you know so our kombucha comes from um, a couple that make it in Parramatta uh, you know things like that so we try and buy stuff that's all kind of locally made um, yeah so that's that's kind of our way of doing it but yet yeah, we I grew up in a house where you didn't get off the dinner table until you finished what was on your plate so there was yeah we'd had no choice but to do no waste as well and we leftovers were normal so yeah. And in terms of that human element, obviously you and uh, Carol have been really instrumental in leading um, the work of training uh, and uh, supporting refugees in your business. Um, do you want to just give a bit of an insight into the projects and the work that you guys have done around that? Yeah, so for me, um, many years ago, I um, met with a friend and, and she was telling me about a guy in um, Lebanon, Kamal, Muzawak, who has uh, a few sustainable, um, eco-friendly kind of like restaurants in, in Lebanon. Um, and he was utilising Syrian refugee women, because remember like one million Syrians moved to Lebanon in a country that was only four million people. So a quarter of their population basically moved in. Um, and so he would hire a lot of these women to, to work in the restaurants and they would do, you know, the dish of the week, etc. And, 
And I said to a friend of mine who was telling me about Kamal, who she knew, and, and I said, you know, why can't we do something like that here? Like, why aren't we doing it? And this is when the government had just announced taking on an extra 12,000 Syrian refugees, Syrian and Iraqi refugees. And so I became like this, um, you know, I became friends with these guys from SSI, which is Settlement Services International. And they do, uh, they basically are the people who welcome refugees and asylum seekers into Australia. So the moment they arrive at the airport, they go and pick them up, you know, and set them up with, you know, Medicare and bank accounts and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, I used to help run the community kitchen that they had, which was every Wednesday or every second Wednesday, I think it was at the time. And um, they would have two to three hundred refugees and asylum seekers come to lunch. So it was great. I'd have ten people in this massive kitchen and I'd never mixed uh, such a big fatush in my life. I probably <laughs> never won't again. But I was literally on the ground with like a bowl and, you know, gloves and just going nuts. But um, it was just, yeah, that kind of opened the whole other door for me and met lots of, you know, refugees that came through and would have them come through the restaurant. We'd try and do events and then I'd try and do events at other restaurants with them. At, people would know Cook for Syria was a big one that we did um, a couple of times as well. Uh, but yeah, it, it just makes sense. And still now I try and there's one in particular that I kind of keep in contact with and um, Russia and she's Syrian and um, and she's, yeah, doing well. Does does lots of like catering events and has done for like Canberra and does regular spots here and there at places and collaborations. And so it's been nice to see that transition for people, you know, and because it was amazing, you know, like I met a, a dentist, you know, who came to Australia and had to start from scratch and, you know, had nothing. And, and um, I think that's an important point is that like, it's very difficult to start deploying those um, more uh, specialised fields as yeah. soon as you hit uh, the ground running in a new country. Yeah, yeah. But I think what's nice is that everybody um, needs fashion and food, and that's often the skill set that people can bring and immediately get work in yeah. um, when they when they come to a new country, let yeah. alone being in an asylum or refugee situation. Yeah. yeah. Do yeah. You, do you find yeah, that? absolutely. Yeah. And it just like as I was saying before, you know, it's such an innate part of who you are in, in the Middle East and, you know, growing up in a Middle Eastern household that, you know, it just made sense to employ people or to have like to find work for people who could come in and knew everything about hospitality, you know, like without even having to work in it, you know, it was just so easy to go, Oh, do you want a job here? Or do you want you know, and it was great. And so many chefs and restaurant owners would contact me and go, you know, I've got work, do you have anyone, etc. And so it kind of became this networking thing that, that was really cool too. Yeah. yeah. Now, Marion, you also um, have employed Afghan, rural Afghan women in your work, but you um, are not just you are using your community within like the actual process, but you are allowing a platform for them to be represented more as well. Mm -hmm. So can you share, share the beautiful story of Nazdana? Um, <laughs> Um, she came here obviously a year ago when all of that um, commotion was happening in Kabul, <laughs> just commotion, um, and she came here with her mother, so, you know, her siblings are still there, which is sad, um, and, you know, they, I, I, I remember I went to an event and I was asking for actual, like, machinists, um, and then the lady said, um, you know, all the machinists have jobs now um, but there are these two they're just good at hand beating so then I was like okay let's give them a job and then I was like oh I haven't done hand beating in the collections in a while I'll try and make it in an arty way just so they can you know do something yeah so then yeah we and I thought I mean obviously you know being Afghan and all of our pieces being so tribal and 
we said, what woggy a wrong word to use. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I thought they were going to look at it and um, be like, oh, what is this? Because, you know, there was like neon yellow leaves that they were cutting and, you know, but they loved it. And then I found out that Nazdana, she, you know, liked to paint and was quite arty. And so she'd give me like her little two cents on you know, what to do and it was amazing. So it was really good working with her. But then I was driving, I used to pick them up and drive them home um, after like every shift they do for me, even though it was like crazy fashion week. Um, <laughs> Doesn't that say everything about who you are, but yeah, keep going. Um, and so she just randomly asked me, oh, can I model for you? And I was like, I was like taken, I was taken back and I was like, who am I to say no and to crush her dreams? Even though I have like heat, like, over a thousand people watching me and I can't make wrong, you know, wrong move. I was like, yeah, I was like, I was like, practice, prove me wrong. I said, just know that, you know, right at the end, you, there is a chance where I can pull you out. Yes. I said, but there's no harm in you practicing. And then she, after every, um, you know, hand beating shift she would do for me during fashion week, um, she would pay attention to the models that would come in and walk and do fittings. And then she'd put on her heels and walk for me. Yeah. Every day, every day. And we documented this. Um, we'll post it soon. Um, but yeah, she was just improving. And so we were sending her YouTube videos and, you know, obviously she ended up walking. Yeah. And it was a, it was a huge deal. It was a real contrast to where she was <laughs> the year before. Yeah, the year before. Well, no, it was at that time. It was only like six Nine months, months before. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so and you know, to, uh, yeah. Australian fashion. <laughs> so it was just like, yeah, it was like a real big difference. And yeah. so obviously, all her siblings saw, and um, you know, the mum was there at the show, and it was really cute. Yeah, How nice is that. Um, and then that gave her a platform where we tried to get because she wanted to study fashion. Yeah. Um, and so then I approached a few schools. Um, to get her a scholarship to study, and then we had um, National Fashion College offer her. Um, a year to do um, like more of the marketing and digital side and that all of that's changed I'm like can I come to school too this shit looks really good um, and then we've got FBI that she's starting next year that does more of the hands-on work so she's just going to be literally you know my competition soon. <laughs> she's very talented, she's very talented. And, and another Afghan woman yeah. represented. Yeah. So um, just in that thread of female empowerment, um, and this is my last question to you, uh, Marion, but you, you've said before that often the people that come and work for you, they come in shy, they come in timid, oh, yeah. but you want to leave them roaring. Yeah. How yeah. do you do that? I just make them yell until they're not a mouse. It's like repeat that, repeat that. They can't be they can't be shy when they're around me because we're just there's just too much energy and there's a lot of screaming. Claire would know there's a lot of screaming and it's good screaming though. It's not you know. It's our long so, talking yeah. volume. It's like oh I can't hear I can't hear. You know if you need something you know. Um, there's, yeah I had an intern start like last week or the week before and I said okay we've got to pack for you we just got to pull for Sex in the City and she's like what's that and I'm like. What do you mean? I was like, I don't like want to know how young you are. I said, but this is a very important pool. I had gone to visit Mariam to talk to her about the event, and we were both like, like we're not that old. Like, how do you not know what Sex in the City is? I was like, what even? And then, like, I think maybe a few days later, she had come in again, and I was just like. 
so perplexed. I was like, how? <laughs> Um, well, I think you can all agree that uh, it's been wonderful to meet Sharon and Mariam today and that we've all hopefully come out of today roaring ourselves. Um, I'm sure that you all want to go get a taste of Sharon's uh, Syria and it, for a bit of a power move, um, go to Mariam's for some really good taste. Uh, so please join me in thanking these creative powerful, powerful kids um, and the kindest women in their industries as well. Uh, I'll thank uh, Nick and Hayley and everybody at Ezra for hosting us today, uh, Giuseppe for capturing all the moments and for all the wonderful women uh, who have joined me to celebrate today. So cheers, in my culture we say yasu. Uh, Mariam, I'm not sure what's your, you, you don't have it, do you have it version? We, we just say it's Joe Hall. It's Joe Hall. I'll leave that to you. And Sharon? Oh, guess. <laughs> That's yes. easy. <laughs> so, um, enjoy your meal and uh, thank you all for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.